school. Hi, I'm Chantal Marx. Uh, I head up a research team at FMB Wealth and Investment. Hi, I'm Bright Kumar, and I'm a portfolio manager at Vestact. Um, it's a small boutique asset management firm based here in Rosebank. Yeah, in a fire station, which is really cool. Um, it's, a, it's a really cool building, that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with both of us being in markets um, and the world being what it is currently, I think that uh, our conversation today will probably be focused on the markets and investment impact of the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, kind of breaking down how this story unfolded, um, how what we've seen in the past in terms of what, uh, what epidemics and big financial shocks have done to markets, how long they take to recover, and also some of the opportunities that they, that they are out there. So um, I guess we can start with what we thought this was uh, when news first broke about uh, the COVID-19 outbreak in China and what it ended up being. Uh, right, maybe you could take us through that. Yes. So, I mean, um, there, there had been reports that, you know, there's a bad flu going, you know, and, and spreading quite rapidly down in China. Um, and obviously, you know, having been uh, in the markets much longer, uh, my, my, my colleague Paul basically said, oh, this sounds like the SARS virus of, you know, 02, 03. Um, and uh, I remember I was very young during that time to remember what the SARS virus was like or the news around it, and then I was certainly not in the market, so I had to look. Or, I, I had to look for something that you know I could still remember, which was the H1N1 virus in 2009, um, which you know was transferable between you know humans and animals, and you know the response there of of governments uh, towards this um, you know H1N1 virus. I thought it was mostly going to be like it because it sounded like it, and you know it's along the same lines. But this, unfortunately, we, it it took us time to you know develop immunity to it, um, which is bad. You know it takes us back to the likes of the Spanish flu, uh, which happened back in 1918, where it happened in three steps basically, um, where we saw a lot of um, people getting sick initially and people not understanding what it was and then you know the second you know wave where basically half the population on earth got it um and tens of millions of people passed away from it and we don't have the exact data around it and then you know the the the, the last kick you know the surprise towards the end um you know of the the spanish flu which i find very interesting the fact that you can still get you know data uh of how these things happen and all the, the, the news clippings because there were newspapers at that time. So you find these clippings in libraries and obviously online, there's a nice uh, website that I shared with you where you can find all of these things. Um, now bringing, coming back to this and obviously we didn't know uh, in terms of, you know, the, the impact or how it was spreading. Uh, so we had to closely monitor, you know, its impact in China and which is what we continue to do actually. Yeah, I mean, I think when, when I also first, when, when I first started being asked about uh, COVID-19, at that point in time, everyone was just calling it the coronavirus, um, as if there was only one um, and there will only ever be one. I think this will definitely be the one to remember, though. Um, I also, I, I look back at, at, um, at the, the previous big influenza epidemic in China. Um, I look back at SARS. Uh, we, we kind of thought that the market impact will be pretty much the same. So a very kind of small uh, retract, a, a very small downturn, perhaps a, 
a one to two percent uh, shock to Chinese GDP. Um, yeah, I remember during the SARS time, it was just one quarter where you see a big drop in GDP, and then it literally the following quarter it just starts roaring back up again. Yeah, and I mean, I think that we thought it was going to be very contained towards China because they've had these sort of health scares before. And because they were so serious in their response, I mean, they were building hospitals in a matter of a day or two. So yep. we honestly didn't think that it was going to um, spread to the extent that it did. But here we are, one and a half, over one and a half billion people later. Um, and it seems as if there's been, a, they, they, I mean, the, break, the breakout in Europe was, was incredible. It was spectacular. It was insane. And it doesn't seem as if it's going any better in, in the U.S. Um, I think we'll chat about the South African experience a little bit later. But from an economic system perspective and from a financial markets perspective, um, the fallout was a lot bigger than expected. And I think that um, going into the rest of 2020, um, the economic growth impact is going to be substantial. Yeah, correct. I mean, you talk about the economic um uh, you know, impact of, you know, the coronavirus or so, <laughs> COVID or whatever the people call it these days, the Rona. Um, you look at people like Jim Chanos who, you know, they're, they're fundamental short sellers or those kind of guys that are always, you know, trying to embrace such times uh, because that's just their strategy and people use them um, as sort of a hedge for times like these uh, in their portfolios. He spoke about uh, a very important point, I think, uh, around the coronavirus um, saying basically, if you want to look at economies across, you know, the world, um, basically what they started to do in terms of uh, company valuation is just write off the year 2020 as a zero, as like a non-event, nothing happened in, in 2020. So you, you go back now to your 2019 valuations and you use that to predict, um, you know, those kind of earnings you would have, you would have expected in 2020. Um, um, for your companies, but for 2021 valuations. So then it gives you a clearer picture of where companies could put potentially uh, go after these, you know, the big fallouts in the economies and the recovery thereof. But obviously this, um, you know, shouldn't be applied as a copy-paste method because you, when you look at companies, you know, that um, got affected the, the most, you're talking about travel and tourism, we're talking about casinos, we're talking about anything in entertainment, um, you know, we're talking about concerts, all of those nice things that you like to do outside where you interact with people. Um, most of those companies are going to be not be here tomorrow, unfortunately, and there's going to be a lot of consolidation. So if you're still very brave and you're still looking into investing into those business, just keep in mind that, yes, once the virus is done, that's not just like we're going to pick up where we left off. There's still going to be a lot of consolidation happening, a lot of, you know, chapter 11s, a lot of those kind of um, winding down of these businesses and the good assets, uh, you know, will come up for sale and not everyone will have the cash to actually fund these assets or buy these assets. So there's going to be a lot of rejigging, you know, with banks uh, involved there um, and, you know, private equity involved because, uh, I mean, it, it, currently when you look at uh, private equity and where they're sitting in terms of cash hoard, they're one of the few investors um, or investment class that's sitting with a lot of cash. We expect a lot of activity from, from them going forward, but it's going to take a while to get there. So we, we shouldn't just think that, oh, because you have money, you can start go buying now. Um, there's still going to be a lot of, um, you know, 
that ripple effects that we're going to see in the economy, then into companies, then into people's jobs, and then that reverse again, and it's going to take uh, quite some time. Yeah, I think um, I uh, I saw a very interesting graph. I think it was put together by by Goldman Sachs. Um, I'm actually going to to share it on on the screen. Um, so it's it basically looks at different types of um, bear markets, right? Yes. So they say that you can get you get a structural bear market, a cyclical bear market, and an event-driven bear market. And perhaps just for uh, people on the podcast who don't um, exactly know what a bear market is, um, it's basically when financial markets are sold off in excess of 20%, right? And, and we definitely entered a, a global bear market, uh, particularly towards mid-March. I think um, markets have recovered somewhat, uh, but if you, right, you can see, can you see the... the yes, I can see the chart. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So basically, you get a, a structural bear market. So that that's when you get a structural breakdown in in the way that the economy functions. So the global financial crisis was an example of example. That. Yeah. Um, yep. The financial system was basically broken, and it triggered a, a structural bear market. A cyclical yep. bear market, just the normal business cycle. Yes. Um, yes. Because I mean, it ebbs and flows. Yes. Yeah. And they've. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've had. You know estimated periods of how this happened but it never actually happens like that but yeah. you know things ebbs and flow yes yeah and then you've got these event-driven bear markets so when i when i first saw this chart i was like well well good good for us this is definitely an event-driven bear market right? <laughs> correct and what since happened is i think that this has this has the the uh, ability to trigger a structural or a cyclical bear market so most likely the, yeah Perhaps the correction we've seen now would be like the event correction, but yes. you could probably see a prolonged downturn after this because this pause on the global economy is going to have a huge impact on economic activity going forward. And as you already <laughs> mentioned, a lot of these businesses might not even exist in a few years. Yes, yes. I mean, a good example would be the restaurant industry. So the restaurant industry in other countries where they've implemented a lockdown, but they didn't take out, you know, the delivery aspect of it. So people can still order. I'm not quite sure if that will net off, you know, the, the food traffic because how restaurants make their money is very simple. You come in there, you buy the food, et cetera, et cetera. But it's actually the additional things you buy on top of that that actually goes down to the bottom line. Whereas the food itself is just to keep the lights on. So if you're telling me that you run a, um, a successful restaurant by a delivery only app, I'm, I'm inclined to say, no, you're not, you, you're lying to me. But um, here in South Africa, it's even the extreme where you find, um, you know, it's, it wasn't declared an essential service. So you can't order from Uber Eats to your favorite restaurant, meaning those, those businesses have had to shut down 100%. They see no volume whatsoever, just like the same as the entertainment businesses, et cetera. What's worse is that most of these businesses still have those fixed running costs that still creep, creep up like rent, for example. I always use rent uh, because it's an easier example. It's more real life and people can relate to it. Um, like rent. One of the best restaurants I know down the road from me, the Jolly Rogers, is on GoFundMe. You know? And that's one of the most packed, most successful where everyone went for sports, Monday night, Tuesday night, you name it. 
but now they find themselves in this condition where they have to, you know, come to, to their supporters, their fans and say, look, uh, if you still want to see this brand and still want to enjoy your beer sometime in the future, you have to, you know, help us to stay afloat. Because these businesses realistically, they're not only run, um, you know, by equity, but they also have, you know, some gearing in them. And it doesn't matter how little the, the gearing was, the fact that you have no volume anymore, just, you know, tanks your entire business. And this goes for the same big uh, restaurant um, businesses. One that comes to mind is uh, um, famous brands, local or restaurant brands international um, in terms of, you know, international. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's more or less exactly the same for the guys in, in, um, in the leisure space, Sun International, Toko Sun. And yeah, travel and tourism, yep. I'm thinking um, City Lodge. Um, <laughs> no, one's, no one's staying at the Road Lodge uh, tonight, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I'm thinking. And there's only about, so many people who can quarantine there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Perhaps they can have three or four of their hotels up for quarantine, but it's certainly not going to be the entire portfolio. Exactly. And then the clothing retailers are extremely affected. Um, I mean, yep. one of the big news stories that we've been following over the last week or two has been this, this tango between um, the property industry group who are saying, oh, no, no, we'll give you a 35% discount for April. <laughs> and the clothing retailer saying, no, we'll give you 20% of total rentals for April. Wow. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, this is the kind of, this, these are the kinds of negotiations that are going on. Um, but I think that in order to, to not see an entire stop to uh, economic activity and to normalize an entry into some sort of a functioning world after lockdown, everyone yep. has to do their little bit and everyone has to do their, like, make their little compromises in order for the system to, to, to work. Yes, yes. If you don't want like clothing retailers not paying rent, property owners not able to pay, pay the bank banks' interest, yep. the bank saying, ah, mm -hmm. oh, well, I don't care, we're going to liquidate. Ultimately, everyone has to say, okay, property owner, I'm going to give you a payment extension or we're going to restructure your loans. The, 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 the landlord says to the tenant, okay, cool, um, what can you pay? Uh, let's do 30% in instead of 20% uh, that you are offering me. I really need the 30% to cover my overhead. Um, and then the clothing retailer, who, who would be the tenant in this scenario, needs to keep on uh, paying staff at least um, and, and, and also keep suppliers comfortable from a cash flow perspective because otherwise this thing gets completely out of control. It, I mean, their, their biggest losers, um, like you said, absolutely has been um, the local REITs. We had a tweet interaction, you and I, um, about this much, much earlier. Um, we said basically, well, the, the, the gist of the tweet was that, is this the end of REITs as we know it, basically? And the, the, the answer is definitely no. But uh, the fact that the average REIT is about, you know, 0 0.4, 0 0.5, um, 0.5, Gear leverage, um, it, it's it's insane. It means basically for half the equity that they they put in, they, you know, half of it comes from debt, which is highly geared um, in, in our standards. I remember sitting in a, this was uh, towards the end of last year, sitting in a, at the fire station building, and there were one of the results presentations there. Uh, one of these reads coming in, and 
I just wanted to understand how they were going to refinance the debt because, I mean, I thought the interest was generously low and, um, uh, you know, there's no mention of, you know, retiring the debt. So, because I looked at some of the, the, the coupons, they were talking about, you know, having, um, you know, they've got one year here, they'll refinance and two years there left, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, so how does the refinancing work? It's just, oh, banks are just keen to, you know, roll the debt over. I was just like, without checking anything, this don't worry, they'll definitely, you know, um, you, 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 cause I mean, if I don't stay levered at, you know, 0.5 or 0.4, I'm the, I'm the stupid one who's not using, you know, their, their, their resources, um, you know, that they have in their access. But now come to, you know, this bad time, they're all basically in big trouble because of that leverage. Um, and had there been maybe a REIT with no leverage and a bit of cash on hand, they could have weathered this funny enough, um, even though they wouldn't be receiving those monthly incomes, et cetera, et cetera. They would have had to restructure definitely, but there would have been a lot that actually survived this, um, you know, um, not to say unscathed, but still yet, you know, yet to be seen something like that. But um, we just have to deal with what we see right now and follow it very closely and learn the lessons of what to do and what not to do. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, it just brings me to kind of another thought. I mean, within the REIT space, obviously not all REITs are made equal. Some of them um, are actually very well positioned for a, a world post-COVID-19. Um, and consolidation, absolutely. yep. Absolutely. Um, and in the in the South African space, we have a... Um, we, we have a, a REIT called Equitus, um, and it basically focuses on warehousing, so distribution services, as well as logistics that kind of fits into a world that is primed for, for e-commerce. And I think yes. we get lots of examples like that globally as well. Yes, and, yes. And within the retail exposed REITs, I'm thinking that some of them would be more experience focused than just playing regional malls. And perhaps there's a there's a trick there. So. Maybe a growth point is more interesting because it's got the VNA waterfront, um, and in a post-COVID world, people will still go to the waterfront, but yes. they might not go to Brits Mall. So that's that's, <laughs> that's the trade-off. Yes, um, yes, yes. But I. But I also, it 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 emphasizes the more. Um, uh, local regional malls. We know that the businesses in the local regional malls it will definitely also see a lot of consolidation and maybe there'll be more vacancies there. Maybe they could be turned around into something else. But a regional mall is the most important thing today. It's basically an essential. Um, and if that continues on going forward, regional malls will be more popular than your bigger, uh, you know, landmark malls. Like, why would I go to Midrand to go to Mall of Africa, for example? Or why would I go to Santin um, if I live here already? If I lived in Kenya, maybe I would be interested in going to Santin City, but I live here. I've been there. I've seen it all. I don't want to go there. There's people there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so... <laughs> I mean, that, that, that kind of brings me... I've got, a, I've got another cool... Um, graph that I that I just want to share with you that I saw on um, Statista, which is uh, such a fabulous uh, platform. I don't know where it is right now. It's, so it's, that's, it's one of my favorite platforms. I probably go there 10 times a day. Are they just always up to date of what, on what's happening? Yeah, and I'm actually thinking of subscribing. 
life being a paying subscriber. Yeah, so I mean that's that's definitely something that I'll consider as well because if you think about it, these guys are doing such fantastic news and and I'm basically just being oh, yeah, they're doing such fantastic things and I'm basically being a parasite. But this yes. is uh, this is something that they put out uh, two days ago. A uh, really cool thing about Satista is that they put everything out for free um, around COVID-19. Um, so, okay, okay. Yeah, which is really nice. Um, Great for their traffic. Yeah. And here they're saying, uh, what are the changes to the general lifestyle uh, of people expected to be due to COVID-19? So these are kind of changes that people have made currently. Um, and I'm just thinking, what could be, what will be permanent? Um, and where where could we benefit from these permanent changes from a company or investment perspective? So, yeah, yeah. Staying home more. Um, I think you're absolutely on the platform that's going to benefit, right? Yes, 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 yes. yes. I mean, we, we're doing this interaction there. Um, staying at home more for China um, sort of makes sense um, because it's 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 a big country and you find that most family members are actually scattered around so they kind of used to this kind of environment where you stay in you go online you do your google hangout or the equivalent obviously it's, it'll be on wechat um or, or another 10 cent you know product and you hang out like how we do on house party for example so they are more used to that because they've been doing that for quite some time. So to see them still high up on the list is actually quite interesting there in terms of, you know, staying at home. more. Yeah. And I think, so I'm thinking, I mean, in terms of companies that will benefit from people staying at home more, because I don't think in a post lockdown world, you're going to have people immediately um, go out and, the club. and <laughs> live their experiences. Um, yes. It, don't get me wrong, I think the experience economy is still super excited, but they're not going to go to the club immediately. So, yeah, people are going to suss out what's going to happen next first yeah. and see who's getting sick or continues to get sick just, you know, for a couple of months. At least that's what the, the people I interact with were saying. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that like staying at home more is, is very good for, obviously, in, in the China sense, it's good for Tencent, which is good for NASPAT and Process, which is locally listed. And yes. You have Netflix, I think, which will be a big net beneficiary from this, um, along with some of the other, uh, the other companies that are exposed to broadband internet and streaming services like Comcast, for example. Um, Amazon Prime, uh, Amazon itself. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are all companies that I think will will absolutely uh, benefit from this. Um, and then I'm I'm thinking that public places like bars and restaurants being avoided and going to the shops less and traveling less could be something that's more transitory. So you'll still see pain being felt for quite a while, but eventually people will go back out, right? Yeah, but... To go come back to that point about you know the, the, the avoiding public spaces and like bars and restaurants, it's hard to unwire human nature. Like if you already have this lifestyle and you told yourself this is how you live, um, 
we can go for lockdown for three years. You trust me, the first thing that will happen after three years, we'll see the housewives of Bedford View come out in, in drove and go to Tasha's because that's what they do. That's what they love doing. So I'm sorry to pick on all the housewives of Bedford View, but that's, that's exactly what happened. It's the reality of, you know, of society today. I just use them as an example. But um, the biggest net winner for health here is that washing my hands more because my word, it's disgusting when you, um, you know, in public, uh, you know, um, lavatories and you see people not washing their hands. So that's definitely the net winner there is humanity and health. There's going to be less of this happening because people are just genuinely washing their hands. Uh, I think that's the, the, the biggest winner for me. Ah, biggest loser, public transport. I doubt it in our environment um, in South Africa, hey, because what's the alternative you know what's this is one of those tina moments where i say you say less public transport i'm saying during covid19 taxis can pick up people 100 percent capacity we negotiated for 70 percent, but they're not you know ad adhering to that so i don't see that happening unfortunately because people don't have the resources and there's no cheaper alternative to that but i mean from a from a global vehicle sales perspective would there yep. not be a, a shift back to owning owning your own car again? Um, and perhaps that could be good longer term. Yes, actually, we can we can drill a, a bit deep into that conversation because the initial conversation was, oh, millennials, um, they're this generation that doesn't like cars. They're quite keen of you know Uber, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I keep saying, I have a something tells me that's a a big misunderstanding because. The people they're referring to, the people who are not keen to get their licenses straight out of high school are actually Generation Z, not us. Because the biggest buyers of SUVs, CUVs, crossover utility vehicles, um, you know, electric vehicles, uh, those are all millennials. And most importantly, those big buckies, uh, they call them vans in, in the United States, you know, those Ford 150s. All of those cars are being bought by millennials, and this is they're sitting at their all-time highs in terms of monthly sales. Well, pre-COVID, um, something that has never been seen before, because people are just you know, people my age and your age are literally going out there and buying these vehicles. <laughs> so I, I I tend to agree with you when you're saying we're going to go back into owning our own vehicles because everyone is going to be a little bit paranoid with public transport to those who can afford. And definitely we're going to say, um, look, uh, I'm safer in my car and, and I'm going to sanitize the steering wheel. I'm going to change, you know, the, the, the seats, if you've got leather seats, I'm going to wipe them down with sanitizer or, or, or wet wipes or the equivalent. But uh, Clorox or whatever, but um, I'm not going to risk it again. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I, I fully agree. I think um, I think one of the reasons why there was, just as a side note, that misconception around millennials is just because our, we started our lives, our, our grown-up lives a little bit later. So uh, millennials tend to, to travel a little bit in their 20s. They take longer to get married. Um, they take longer to start having a family, and it's it's only when you yes, have kids yes. where you start thinking about a, a two two car like a two car garage house um, and yes, and yes. two vehicles. Um, yeah, like ask me. I mean, this has been we've had, we've been a two two car household for ten months. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm thirty five years old, so um, we just do things later, but we we end up 
we end up buying the cars. Um, and then just by perhaps just like the last two things on on this slide that I thought was quite interesting. Um, obviously, working from home, um, I think Microsoft would be a net winner on on this um, as well as Teams, as great. Yeah, Zoom um, and and Slack. Slack has seen some incredible pickup in their volumes, notwithstanding the fact that when they had like one million um, monthly active users, they were valued at eleven billion US dollars. So, if you use a similar matrix to the the increase to sixty million. Um, you know, monthly active users for Microsoft, uh, you can sort of gauge how much Microsoft Teams is worth if we're using those metrics. But even if you apply a 50% discount, it's still a big chunk of that market cap and no one ever actually really thinks about it that way. I, I thought I'd, I'd just point it out there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the, the increase in monthly active users in, in Teams has been absolutely crazy. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot more, it's going to be a lot, a lot more important for Microsoft going forward. And they'll probably focus on it a little bit more um, as well. Um, they actually have been focusing on it quite a lot. It's just that they knew that the numbers would come. They just didn't know they were, they were going to come this quickly yeah. and this fast. And because of, you know, a pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think just the last one before I will stop sharing, I think shopping online is a, is a very interesting thing to me. So, um, one of the one of the things that I think has always been an issue with online shopping is just people haven't tried it, right? So yes. I think sh online shopping penetration, even in countries that shop online a lot, like the UK, has kind of been stuck in the twenties somewhere. <laughs> so people weren't shopping online because they don't trust the security and how do I return it? And I don't want to buy fresh goods on. Lan, I, I want to yes, it I've, yes, I've, right? I've heard of that. And but don't knock the, it before yes, you try it. And yes, they're all being forced to try it. Yes, yes. And obviously the thing is, if you're an online, um, like you're, you're Amazon Fresh right now, you, you're smiling because all it takes is for someone to try the convenience, Right. And then once they see that, oh, it's instant and my food will be here in two hours. Uh, why wasn't I doing all this before? I spent three hours shopping going aisle to aisle where here I've got a preset list. It learns my habits. And next time I come, when I try to buy all the things that I bought the last time I up there, I just click how many quantities I want and I click the cart and in two hours it's here. Um, and obviously in the to totalitarian extreme, um, you know, Vulcan kind of environment where we are living like zombies and robots. Uh, every month, this thing has learned my habits and it just sends me my essentials, toilet paper, you know, toothpaste, whatever, whatever I need every month or eggs. It already knows, the algorithm already knows what I, 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 I go and buy and how frequent I go buy it. And I just see it on the mail here and I see the notification go out on my credit card account. I'm just like, oh, well, my food is here now. All my essentials are here. So, but that's, that's the one extreme. Yeah, I mean, but that's also why Amazon recently hit a, a fresh record high. Um, yes. Because it, it, just the ability to do that and the ability to leverage of something like this. I mean, I think they, like every week, I feel like I'm reading a, a, a headline in the FT saying Amazon hiring another 100,000 workers. Thousand. Amazon hiring yes. 75,000 workers.
it felt like almost every third day we were seeing, you know, something like that. I was like, oh, this is the same one as the old one. I was like, no, on top of. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. updated 12 minutes ago <laughs> ago yes you know like, okay but yeah um what i was going with uh, with actually getting the, the people to use the website is that for them apart from the distribution centers what they call the fulfillment centers apart from that side in terms of bloating of um you know the 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 the, the, the pool the talent pool um that's going to be, you know, that, that's where they're going to be incurring more costs or overheads uh, or maybe fixed costs as well. But if you look at, on, on the server side of things, I think these servers were, were ready to actually acquire a little bit more traffic than what we're seeing right now. That's why no one has actually complained about any lag or anything, even though they, they've seen traffic increase 60% per week. So this is still, they still got a lot of capacity to go and to put in also a new data center is much cheaper than, for example, trying to build 10 new stores or, you know, just, just to fulfill that. But obviously another argument um, to that is that when Amazon becomes big enough, you know, the, 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 the contra move, which is the gangster move, I think, that they could potentially do is come back to bricks and mortar and just obliterate everyone because it will be more convenient for them. And I think that's why Amazon Fresh uh, bought into the, um, to the business um, that they bought into. I just forgot the name now, the Whole Foods. Yes, it's like the Woolies of, of, of the, uh, North America. So that's the reason why they did that. They wanted to reverse into the bricks and mortar because no, they didn't shut down any stores. Instead, they've increased the number of stores. It's just such a cool story. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that they, they're probably going to move towards bricks and mortar. But I, I think that from a mega trend perspective, we might see like online adoption um, coming through, particularly in, in the, in the, in the um, northern hemisphere where they haven't shut, uh, sh shut down economies completely. I can't get anything on yes. take a lot. Um, <laughs> but, but, with, but with that, with that bringing in the, the bricks and mortar, actually... Uh, freeze the fulfillment center, you know, stress uh, to focus on the, you know, the main, the big, the bulk to, f to send to the stores, whereas the stores can do a, a, you know, a click and go. If you still want to literally get out of your house and go pick it up, you can go pick it up. Or if you want to pick it up on your way from work to go home, you can pick it up and it'll be 25% cheaper because you don't have to pay the delivery fee. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes, that makes absolute sense. Um, I that's what that's how walmart has done it yeah 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 that is that is how they've done it and that's yes. another company along with costco that actually benefited from this whole debacle all-time um, highs as well yeah but um i mean perhaps one of the one of the areas that we haven't spoken about but that probably deserve a bit of airtime is the healthcare sector um pharmaceuticals hospital groups what are your thoughts around that um how do you think they'll be impacted during this time yeah, first of all, I have to say, um, you know, the health professionals, the cleaners that do all the, you know, disinfecting and cleaning up all these uh, facilities to ensure that 
they're, they're sprinkling and, and nothing spreads while, you know, there's people working in there and there's people sick in there. Um, they've done an exceptional and an incredible job, to, you know, for risking their lives like that every single day, you know, waking up with a purpose. Um, I think, you know, those people should all get medals or badges of, you know, honor of some some sort, you know, the honor of Mapungubu or something. But there's a lot of them, but yeah, they deserve a shout out from me and, and my team, obviously. Um, looking at the, the the private space the industry itself i mean i'm gonna look at you know you know the 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 guys that panicked last um which was you, you know um because let's let's rewind first we, we we all sort of know about the coronavirus like you said end of january sort of all the way to mid-february and then the first case you know uh spreads out i think it was the 10th or 12th, somewhere there, uh, of February, just before mid-February, um, outside of um, uh, China. We're talking about three cases, one reported in Italy, one reported in Spain, one reported in Germany. And then obviously it reaches, um, you know, more Western Europe. Uh, we're talking about uh, the United Kingdom and obviously the, the first cases make it to America, et cetera, et cetera, because it was easier for it to travel through the plains. And, and uh, you know, people weren't doing the correct checks in terms of, you know, um, your temperature levels, et cetera, et cetera. Even not that because a lot of people go asymptomatic for about two weeks. So it's hard to actually pin it down. That's when, you know, things started happening. Um, and some countries reacted the way they should, you know, like um, as you'd expect it during a potential threat you know to 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 the health system um and and the likes of the united kingdom they were last to to actually react and they when they basically started to react they said it was going to put a lot of pressure into the healthcare system and they basically enact that all of the private uh, operators become you know help to the public um, by force, whether you like it or not. I mean, it's enacted that you will have to take these patients under the NHI, NHI rules, which they already had, which was, you know, a positive on their front there. Um, yes, they will see increased volumes as a result if we use that as our benchmark or as our case study. Um, but the problem is, you know, um, on the business side of things of, um, uh, the, 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 anything that has to do with the, you know the, the, the patients, the, the patients industry is that you've got a cap, um, and you're not like you know the, the the great operators of China where you can just wake up one day and and create 100 hospitals in a week. Uh, it's not that easy. Um, there's a lot of infrastructure that goes in there, and there's a lot of um, machineries, specialized machineries, ventilators, etc., that you need for you know. I see use, uh, you, you know, the, uh, all of these operating tables, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's very hard to just all of a sudden increase your capacity. But the good news is that you're going to be operating at a capacity, maybe not at the kind of margins you would have liked because now you've gone down to sort of um, regular, well, regulated margins, but you're still going to be seeing, talking about full capacity for at least, the next 18 months. So your business is sorted and you will see a surge, but it's capped. That's the sad yeah. part. It's capped. Whereas internet businesses, Google, Zoom, all of those, they're not capped. You just put in an extra desk to, um, a data center and you can accommodate twice what you used to accommodate previously. 
Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm just thinking about the South African example. So, I mean, we've been prepping now for this big exponential increase in, in, in COVID-19 cases, which uh, thus far hasn't, hasn't really come through, um, probably in part due to the lockdown, but also probably a bit of, a bit of luck on our side as well. Um, but apparently these guys have not been doing any elective surgeries. So a lot of the South African hospitals are actually going to see occupancy rates that are much lower than what they used to, especially in March and April, where they haven't seen the COVID-19 volumes come. So, yes, obviously there's a lag. There's a lead lag thing going on yeah. there. So but you're telling... You're going to have about two months with like 40% occupancy because these yeah, which are is getting problematic. Yeah. So people are not getting hip replacement. People are not getting the headache tablets or whatever they used to go or Mac, Mac on the, the doctors, etc. So unfortunately, that's not going to be happening. But um, again, this is, this is a double whammy. It's, 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 it's hard to pinpoint what's going to happen exactly. But the fact that um, we've, we went to lockdown, like you're saying, um, and we banned alcohol, which the casualties, that's where the, the, these private hospitals used to make most of their money. You know, the ER divisions, you see a lot of volume. That has gone literally to zero. Go look at any doctor online, or real, real doctor online um, on Twitter and just go read their tweets about, um, you know, the ER going to zero. It's, 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 it, it, it's almost amazing what alcohol does to human beings because all of the crime that was related was mostly due to alcohol consumption. It's not actually drugs. Uh, we're talking about um, abuse, you know, general street fighting, anything, you know, that had to do with liquor is, is all low. And unfortunately, th this is where these hospitals find themselves. So there's going to be that three-month to four-month lag. Um, and obviously, they'll see much higher cases once we come out of the lockdown which eventually we'll have to because now they forced them, but we forced ourselves another 21 days to stay in, you know, well, 21 days at the, at the time of, um, you know, uh, the Sunday where he announced it, but you, you force people to actually struggle for the next additional days, 14 days, um, which is not good. It's, it's not good because most of these people sell their labor to actually, uh, make a living for their families and to ask an African family who lives in a very two room shack, like not even two bedroom, just two room shack, six of them to stay indoors is actually asking for trouble. Um, this is why we've seen the lootings that are happening. Uh, if I'm selling my labor, um, my family is hungry and you're asking us to stay, no, it's not going to happen. Trust me, I'll, I'll rather be, I'll rather end up in jail than see my family, you know, uh, suffering. So, I mean, perhaps like on that note and, and maybe to kind of wind down the conversation, even though I know the two of us can probably speak until <laughs> kingdom comes. Um, yes. So these, um, so, so if we're thinking about the, the end of the lockdown, what does that look like for you? Um, do you think it's going to be a phased approach? And what do you think? I'd like perhaps together with that, what, what are your thoughts on um, what markets will do? Uh, so the so uh, an easy answer to what will happen to society is, is, is I, I don't know that one's a hard one but we can learn again from best practice you know china has literally gone through the whole cycle and they're now having their second 
uh, cycle of uh, new new um, infections, which, which funny enough are coming from outside of China. Um, <laughs> you know how the the the, the, the tables turn. Um, looking at the business side of China, so we we don't have a full view yet because this, the numbers that we we were getting now they're still not COVID numbers. These are December numbers that are coming out of China. I mean, we we've seen the luxury. Um, uh, jewelry companies coming out with numbers from China, the luxury manufacturers of fancy clothing also, um, 10 cents and the likes, all of them is just the same numbers. And those, they look, you know, good. But all of them have said they expect between something 85 to 90% of the business going poof, but we haven't actually seen what the numbers look like. And all of them said they have zero forecast. You know, when you read a management statement where it says, Angazi, I don't know what's going to happen in the next eight months. So we'd have to sit that one and wait. But markets are, are usually always forward-looking. Like I said, they're usually 16 to 18 months forward-looking. And the Chinese markets are actually kind of stabilizing right now. Not to, to the extent where they are saying um, we'll be out of you know, economic ruin. Fully, 100% will be firing on all cylinders and will be able to be saving um, uh, goods outside of the country because they are, they, they are net producers, right? So they make their money by basically, you know, producing locally and, and selling things all across the planet. Um, so it's not pricing in that, but it's, it's pricing in a lot of stability, which I guess that's what the American markets, your, well, our, our base um, basically is pricing in as well. That's why we're seeing a lot of kind of confusing stability or fake stability, yeah. if you want to put it like that. But that's just pricing and what's going to happen down the line. But there's still going to be surprises and hiccups in between the markets. Uh, maybe uh, America can't handle the situation for some reason and the markets tank because of that. Or the, the dollar weakens because of that. There's going to be a lot of those kinds of um, surprises coming in between. But where we are right now today as we're recording this uh, podcast, it's there's still a lot of um, things that could happen but right now what we're seeing is a bit of stability on that front. Yeah I mean I agree I think we're going to see a lot of volatility over the next uh, year or so um, in market and I think that yeah I mean hopefully um, the data actually surprises us in a month or two's time I think what we're going to see now is going to be absolutely horrible every single high frequency print you're going to see is going to be headline catching and worst ever in, <laughs> in 13 years, yes. Yeah. I'm waiting for those 13 years. Yeah, it can be anything. Um, but I think that, as you mentioned rightly so, mar markets look through periods of this. And um, we will probably um, get some sort of stability uh, ultimately, because that's yep. what markets are reflecting right now. And, yep. and perhaps just as, a, as kind of a, a last little um, uh, thing to add, uh, Bitcorp actually came out yesterday. Um, sorry, I just have to. No problem. Um, Bitcorp actually came out yesterday, and they say yep. that their Chinese business is returning to pre-crisis volume. Um, Bit Bitcorp, of course. Oh, sorry, I was talking about Bitcorp. Bitcorp, of course, is in the food services business, so they deliver to supplying a lot. Well, they. Yeah, the, the high-margin business is supplying a lot to individual 
restaurants, not invis- like restaurant chains, because those are like, again, those are the ones that just keep the lights on. The, the, the profits come from the standalones. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. But, 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 but China, again, is, is very advanced compared to other markets. Like, I'm sorry to pick on Europe because they're still in the 1920s. Um, in, when it comes to food delivery, because I don't think much on the food delivery side of things got affected in China. I mean, I've got friends who live in China. They've been living life as normal when it comes to, you know, I can still get my takeaway the way I used to get it. So those volumes didn't shrink. The, the, the big problems that we would have seen was, well, they would have seen was um, on, the, on the food traffic side of things. But yeah, then again, I, if, if, if I used to eat um, uh, at here in Rosebank Tasha's and I really absolutely love their food, um, and they were still delivering, I would still be ordering their food. Yeah, and maybe I, with, with, with a higher frequency than what I've used to because I don't want to cook maybe lunch or I don't want to cook dinner. So I might be ordering at Tasha's a day instead of ordering Tasha's every fourth day. So yeah, that sort of nets off the, the food traffic. Yeah, I think just maybe anecdotally to end off, I, I hope that from a lockdown perspective, regulations kind of um, calm down somewhat as the weeks go forward. Perhaps uh, actually opening up those, those kind of takeaway platforms, opening up um, online sales again, opening up the mining industry. Uh, I mean, these are areas where, where we can have pretty quick wins in terms of... You're forgetting the most important, liquor sales. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to be that person, but yes, <laughs> my wine is finished. <laughs> so, I mean, these are, the, these are the types of things where you can get economic activity back pretty quickly. And yes. um, you can at least at some level um, set off some of the damage that has been done to the economy. Uh, which I think in certain spaces is probably going to be irreparable. Yeah, the, 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 the extreme lockdown situation that we have applied in South Africa is definitely not reality as we know it. And obviously it has put a shock into the system, a much higher shock than the average country that is, is in lockdown. And as a result, we're going to feel more pain than the average country because of the COVID-19. And when it comes to recovery, we, we are not kind of like um, a, a country that has, you know, all the, the wheels of the train in the sporos at the same time. We're still working on the sporos, actually. So it's, it's not like that. We, we're a developing country when it comes to those things. So we need to put that. It's, it's easier for the business to go down. It's very harder to build the business back from scratch. So that we, we must never forget that. Um, um, and this has been caused by just literally, I don't know, a month of lockdown. Um, yeah, it's it's mean, going to be much harder than the actual effect had we just like, um, you know, the, the alternative, which was to do nothing. But obviously yeah. the, the infections would have been worse. Yeah, That's the I'm trade-off. Also, I'm also trying to be optimistic about where we can go over the next few years. And hopefully that this gives, this provides time um, to for, for the guys in charge to realize where the reforms are acquired, what is needed for us to actually get to a point where we can get to, to super high uh, sustainable economic growth, which will ultimately yes. take, us, take us forward quite quickly. Um, and, and I don't think that it's, it's, a, it's very outlandish to think that that is a possibility, uh, particularly given how well the crisis has been dealt with. Uh, from yes. The, 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 the skeptics have said that the, the, the reaction 
to the virus, exceptional from South Africa, but to abandon the economy 100%, very poor. Yeah, and we, we're going to have to come back and try to manage the economy like how we've managed the virus. And yeah. politicians in South Africa are not actually quite good at that, but it's not going to be a political debate. Well, perhaps we can chat about it again when we've got about six or seven months under the belt because this has been fabulous. Thank you so much, Brian. <laughs> thank you, thank you. This was um, lovely, Chantal. Yes, let's, uh, let's do it again sometime. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool.